Alright, well good to see you in the house of the Lord tonight, and if you would turn your Bibles to the book of beginnings, that's the book of Genesis, and chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5, and I'm going to start verse 18, Genesis 5, verse 18 says, and Jared lived 162 years, and begot, he begot Enoch. And Jared lived after he begot Enoch 800 years and begot sons and daughters. All the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So the title of the message tonight is Enoch, A Walk That Pleased God. A Walk That Pleased God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word. We thank you for these um, characters of the Bible that teach us, instruct us, challenge us um, in our walk with you. I pray that you help us to glean some things from the life of Enoch uh, that we better understand how it is that we ought to please thee. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to give a little background about Enoch. Um, of course, we know these were evil times that he lived in. Uh, <clears throat> Genesis 6, verse 5 says, The wickedness of man was great. Every imagination of his heart was only evil continually. But, you know, how close to the flood did Enoch live? Well, Methuselah, the name Methuselah means it shall be sent. That is the flood. It shall be sent. Methuselah lived 969 years. Enoch was 65 years old when Methuselah was born. So Enoch lived 300 years after Methuselah was born. That means the flood, according to my math, came 669 years after he was taken up. So close to 700 years, which, you know, men lived longer than that back then. Uh, but anyway, but something else to think about, according to mathematicians, you know, I didn't sit down and figure this out, but you could figure it out. Adam would have lived till Enoch was 178. So Enoch could have talked to Adam, who talked to God. Enoch, or Adam, also lived till Methuselah was 113. So again, Adam, or Methuselah, could have talked or commune with Adam. You know, there's only really, I think it's seven generations, if I remember right correctly, from Adam to Methuselah. So, so those alive, when the flood came, actually had witness of one who actually spoke to God face to face. Well, I shouldn't say alive. Alive prior, just up to. You know, Enoch, or, or Methuselah, lived right up till the time of the flood. Um, and so they would have had a, some first-hand accounts of, you know, of, about God, about transgressing God's commandments. You know, they'd, they'd had, you know, so, you know, although they didn't have Bible like we have it, you know, we have something far better than what they had, but, but still they had uh, a, a, you know, Methuselah and Enoch would have had a first-hand witness 
um, you know, been like talking to one of the apostles who, 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 who was, t- you know, witnessed of the crucifixion and the resurrection and so on and so forth. But about this man, Enoch, as we think about the man Enoch and how he walked with God and pleased him, there's only really nine verses in the Bible that refer to him. Um, six in the Old Testament, three in the New. One of those is in the genealogy in Luke chapter 3, you know, so you don't get anything really from that. But, but anyway... But it sets before us a, a really brief biography of probably one of the godliest men in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, Hebrews 11.5 tells us he pleased God. And yet we don't know, we know very little about him. Um, we don't know nothing, anything of his position in society, uh, of his, what he did for a living. But, you know, really, in reality, is that really what's important? In Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4, <clears throat> Solomon speaking about life under the sun. Ecclesiastes 6 verses 1 through 4, he says this, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. Man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for a soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is the evil disease. If a man beget a hundred children, live many years, so that the days of his years be many, his soul be not fitted, filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say an untimely birth is better than he. For he, become, he cometh in with vanity, and departeth in darkness, and his name should be covered with darkness. You know, it really doesn't, you know, the, the life under the sun really isn't important. As far as living for the world goes, it's all vanity. That's what this, you know, Ecclesiastes is all about. You know, Matthew 6 says, What did it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? James 4.14, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a time and then vanisheth away. Now, as we think about Enoch tonight, I want to look at several things, four things in particular concerning him. Uh, his name also means teacher or dedicated. And... Uh, you know, to, and I wanted to find a couple of words. You know, the word walk means to go with, to proceed with, or the idea of going along with. Uh, the word pleased means to gratify or give satisfaction. So his, his life and testimony satisfied God. It was agreeable to. That's what it means to please God, is to be agreeable to. You know, Amos 3.3 3 says, it, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Of course, this speaks volumes about Enoch and how one walks with God and how one pleases God. So, so consider Enoch tonight and, our, and a walk that pleases him. First of all, if we're going to walk with him, please God, we must know the Lord. We must know the Lord. Verse 22 says, And Enoch walked with God after he got Methuselah 300 years and begot sons and daughters. And so, he, again, to walk with means to go along with or accompany and, 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 you know, we have to agree with one and, and how we must know the Lord. Uh, you know, one of the first, the first questions Saul asked when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus was, Who art thou? Who art thou, Lord? And then in Philippians 3.10, later he would write, That I may know him. No, he had salvation already. You know, he's been preaching the gospel for, for uh, probably going on 30 years, 20 or 30 years. And he says, 
Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. In other words, I want to know of his attributes. I want to know of his characteristics. I want to know of his holiness. I want to know of his mercy. I want to know about his grace. And, you know, I want to know the power of his atoning sacrifice for sin, the power of his resurrection, of his spirit working in my life to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. I want to know all these things. So I just don't want to know him as my Savior. I want to know all I can about him that I might walk with him, that I might please him, that I might please him. And Paul wrote, you know, he, he wrote most of the books of the New Testament uh, more than any other man. Uh, in, in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, you know, he, he, he speaks here of knowing that there's no condemnation Romans 8, 1 and 2, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free. And, and you know, he wanted to know what it was to be free from the law of sin and death. Galatians 2, 2, I have been have crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. How are you going to know that? It comes from knowledge. This requires a knowledge of him. And, and we ought to seek to know the Lord God. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, uh, Solomon, under inspiration, says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding, Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifteth up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. See, God reveals to them, himself to those who seek him. Psalm, I think it's 25, says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And he will show them his salvation. See, the secret of the Lord. And, and, the, and, the, and the Proverbs tells us that, that the man that fears the Lord, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And, and so the secret of the Lord is for them that fear him. And uh, Hosea 4, verse 1 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. You know, is that not where we are today? You know, people claim Christianity, quote unquote, but they have no knowledge of God. They have no knowledge of God. Hosea 6.6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. See, God's interested, more interested that you know him than he is your sacrifices, than he is your offerings. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not, what was their problem? Some have not the knowledge of God. And they said, I speak this to your shame. Yeah, there were those who were in the church of Corinth in this context in 1 Corinthians 15. They were questioning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And, and really what he's saying is, the reason you're questioning is that you don't really know him right. You don't have a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. You know, the resurrection declares him to be the Son of God with power. Romans 1.4. Colossians 1.10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. God wants us to increase in the knowledge of him. In 2 Peter 1.2, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So, so we, we must, you know, if we're going to walk with God, we have to seek to know him. Now, I'm not talking about knowing him as your savior. I'm talking about knowing him so that you can walk in fellowship and agreement with him. And, and as the word please means... Him be satisfied with you. Him be satisfied with your walk with the Lord. You know, Paul said also, you know, this one we kind of, mm, mm, mm. he said, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know what it, what it meant for my Savior to be hated by the world. What is that like? In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 10 and 11, he would say, Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. If, if, if Christ is going to be manifest in your mortal flesh, you have to die to yourself. And you have to be willing to accept the, the onslaught of the world. Or the offense of the world. They're going to be offended. Jesus said they hated me. They're going to hate you. It's part of it. In 2 Timothy 3.12 he said. Yea and all that would live godly in Christ Jesus. Shall suffer persecution. So, so we, need to, we need to know him. We must, if we want to walk with him. We must know him. Secondly. And this is similar. But we must grow. We must grow in our relationship with the Lord. Again in. In Galatians 5.24, it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You know, to walk again means to make progress. Speaks of progress, which is a word we don't like. Change. Now, we often say, you know, we, we, sometimes we have this idea that, that no change is good. Oh, yeah, some change is good. There's, there's some change that's not good. You know, Obama's, what was his phrase, um, uh, hope and change. Well, that change of his, there was no hope in it. <laughs> uh, you know, but you know, some change is good. In fact, if you're not changing, you're not growing. I mean, I'm sure the Fowlers here want that little Ada to change. They want her to grow. Growth requires change. And, and so this is the idea here. Again, God doesn't change, but we do, and we should. Again, it's called growth. You know, the way it happens is we continually, as we commune, as we walk with God, commune with God, study his word, examine our beliefs and our conduct in light of what we learn, we change. To never change is to never grow. And change is good when it is being conformed to the image of Christ. You know, is your faith growing or are you stagnant and unwilling to change? 
You know, it, it requires, again, that we be willing to examine ourselves in light of God's word continually. You know, this is why, this is why Israel did not go in and possess the land. They were fearful of what change, of what the unknown might bring. You know, some people don't want to change because they're fearful what their, what their change is going to bring into their life. Um, you know, if I surrender the Lord, will the Lord send me somewhere I don't want to go? Well, Again, that's a lack of trust in the Lord. You know, the, the Israelites' fear caused them to not believe or act upon the promise and command of God. So, so we need to be willing to change. Look at go to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. <clears throat> now here is real hope and change. Second Peter chapter one, verses three through eleven says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, as, again, as we examine the scriptures, as we study the word of God, we need to continually examine our lives. Is my conduct and practice in accordance with the scriptures? With the scriptures. You know, Paul... When he wrote to the churches of Rome, he said, For your obedience is coming abroad on all men. I am glad, therefore, in your hand. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So you need to, you need to continue to hold fast to that which is good. And, 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 you know, it's all right to not have full knowledge or experience of that which is evil. It's better if you didn't. Be ignorant of that which is evil. Second Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is meet, because your faith groweth exceedingly. You know, here's, here's people that were you know, saved out of, out of idolatry, you know, worshiping in wood and stone and all those kind of things, and he said, your faith is growing. It's growing. You're changing. Exceedingly. And the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Again, Proverbs 12.1, Whosoever loveth instruction loveth knowledge. Now, the word instruction there is defined as discipline or correction. You know, if we love instruction, we're going to accept it correcting our life. Correcting our life. But he that hateth reproof is brutish. 
Uh, again, Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, if you never examine and change or adjust your beliefs, you're not growing. You're not growing. You're sort of like the, what it says in Ecclesiastes of the old and foolish king. Ecclesiastes 4.13 says, Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king. He will no more be admonished. In other words, he'll no, he, he won't receive instruction. So if we're going to please God, you know, this speaks of progression. If we're walking with God, it speaks of, a, of we're making progress. We're growing in our relationship with the Lord. The idea here is we're putting off the old man. That's a continual thing. Putting off of the old man and putting on the new man. He, uh, Ephesians 4 talks about that. So, uh, must grow in our relationship. Third thing, he walked or pleased God by declaring God's judgment on the wicked. <coughs> Excuse me. Now go to Jude. Jude verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> and this is we really something you know, most people are not really familiar with about Enoch. We have this idea that Enoch is this uh, guy, that this, this real... Gentlemen, you know, uh, uh, that, that just walked with God. He was the nicest man, you know, the kindest and most compassionate man. And, and he was all those things. And, you know, and, and he just had this really close companionship relationship with God. And, and God just one day took him. Well, this kind and compassionate man spoke very strongly against the wicked. Very strongly. Jude records it for us. It says in verse 14 to 15, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of the saints. It's talking about the return of Christ to set up his kingdom. That's what he's referring to here. So even Enoch believed in the kingdom of Christ, thousand-year reign of Christ. And then he says this, To execute judgment upon all, and to convince all their ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, so he spoke against those that walked contrary to God, that, that spoke against him, that spoke against God. And you know, to these people, Enoch would have been offensive. He'd have been offensive. Uh, so he's, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's prophesying against those who are, who are teaching false doctrine or speaking things against God. You know, of course, wickedness is always a process that departs from God, and we're seeing that in our country. You know, the fruit of that is for several generations now, you know, from moral absolutes that are defined by the law of God and the word of God to now, you know, like, for example, marriage between a man and a woman. That was accepted for thousands of years, and all of a sudden, it can be defined by two of the same gender. Um, you know, that was an absolute established by God. Anything else is unnatural. It's against nature. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, very clearly uh, spells that out, that it's against nature. They're leaving the natural use the man leaves a natural use of the woman for another man and so on. And, and so, and, and the fruit of that is, in verse 28 says, neither did they like to retain God in their knowledge. In other words, they don't want to know anything about God. Don't tell me anything about God. 
Just, just want him out of my mind, you know, kind of thing. And it's, you know, they again they perverted what God, the law that God has given. They perverted what is what is right and moral. Uh, they, you know, society has perverted what a church is. You know, churches have become entertainment centers with little self-help devotionals. You know, um, you know we, have per- we have perverted the person of Christ into an effeminate, soft, kind, and understanding guy who's everybody's friend and never offends anyone. Did you ever really think about some of the things that Jesus said? By the way, you know what that is? That's woke philosophy. It's woke philosophy. And I think a woke, woke philosophy is really active in the churches in America. They love teachers having itching ears. They're, they're, they're offended at the truth. Did you ever think about, consider some of the things that Jesus said to people? In, for example, Mark chapter 8, verse 33. When he turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Now, Peter was saying to Jesus, you're not going to the cross. That's what he was saying. By the way, the others kind of sang the same, same tune. And that's why he looked at all the disciples. And then he says directly to Peter, because Peter was the leader of the group. Uh, you know, Jesus was the pastor, but uh, of the twelve, Peter was the most outspoken and seemed to lead the group, kind of naturally. And so he speaks to him, and this is what he said. Get thee behind me, and what's the next word? Satan. Is that offensive? You better believe it was offensive. It was meant to be. Because there's two things. You, it, it, can, it, can be, it can be offensive or it could not be offensive. It all depends on how you're going to take it, your response to it. He says, Thou savorest not the things that be of God, the things that be of men. Was Jesus apologetic for it? No. Because it was truth. It was truth. Go to John chapter 8. <clears throat> John chapter 8, verse 19, says, Then said they unto him, Where is thy This is the Pharisees, by the way. Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know him nor my, me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father. These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour is not yet come. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and ye shall die in your sins. Now, what does that mean? If I said to you, you're going to die in your sins, what am I telling you? You're going to die and go to hell. It goes on. Verse 22, then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he said, whither I go, you cannot come. The end of verse 21. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself? Because he saith, whither I go, you cannot come. And he saith unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, therefore I said, I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So if you won't receive the truth, 
You're going to die in your sins. You're going to die and go to hell. Verse 44, it gets more pointed. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. You know, in John chapter 6, he gives this discourse. He talks about being the bread of life. And it starts really in verse 47, where he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. And he used, you know, we we're talking about Moses giving the man, and he said, well, I gave you that bread from heaven. Moses didn't give it to you. I gave it to you. I am the bread of life. I'm the one that can give you eternal life. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, you know, and it goes on and talks about um, uh, verse 50. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So, so and again, he, he's not talking about actually eating his body or drinking his blood. He's talking about spiritual things and using a spiritual illustration, an illustration here that he, his body is going to be broken and given for their lives. And his blood is going to be shed for the remission of their sin. However, it says in verse 61, or verse 60, Many therefore his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, Doth this offend you? What? And if you should see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before... It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profit nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come to me except it were given him of my father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And then in verse 67 he says, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? In other words, are you going to be offended also? Are you going to go leave me also? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You know, they weren't offended. They accepted it. You see, they accepted it. Even though those words were hard to accept, that he was going to have to die and give his life and shed his blood for this, they accepted it. The others were offended at it. Again, some believed and some believed not. Again, that's a choice. You know, Jesus said in Luke 3, thir- or, I'm sorry, Luke 13, verse 3 and verse 5, I tell you, Nate, except you repent, you shall all like perish. You know, except you change your mind about God, about who I am, about your sin, and your just condemnation by God, you will die in your sins. Well, how narrow-minded dogmatic can that be? You know, there are absolute truths that we must hold to. In Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 11, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and in verses 8 through 11 of Ephesians 5, he says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable, and have no fe- with the Lord, 
And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So this is what Enoch did. He, 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 he walked with the Lord. He was a light. He proved what is acceptable or pleasing to God. And he had no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. He reproved them. He prophesied against them. Against their ungodly deeds. And... You know, there's a there's a verse in Jeremiah forty eight ten. It says, Cursed be he that doeth work the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. Now why is it if a man protects his house from assailant, he's considered a hero? But if he exposes error of the wicked in this world, he's considered divisive, hateful, lacking care and compassion. Yet Jesus said, I came not to send peace on the earth, but a sword. In one of the classes, history, Bible history classes, Pastor Webb said, Jesus was probably the most divisive person that ever lived. Now, did he come just to offend people? No, but he came to be a witness to the truth. And the truth offends. Truth is no respecter of persons. Um, you know, Enoch spoke to the world the truth, telling them how they were against God, how they were opposing God, how they and how they could. You know how they you know how else would they know this and the need to repent? Second uh, Timothy two twenty four says, "So the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient." In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him and his will. And again, that word instructing there means to chastise, to castigate with words, to correct. You know, the reason why people are not responding to the gospel today is because it is offensive. It requires... A denial of yourself. There's nothing really humanly attractive about it. I've got to admit that I'm a sinner condemned to a fiery hell and deserving of such things because I am a, have offended a holy and righteous God. There's nothing attractive about that to the world. It's offensive. But it's only offensive to those who are closed their minds to the truth, who will not receive it. And, you know, the reason people are not responding to the gospel today is, is because it is offensive and they cannot be offended by absolutes. Truth. You know, they've got to have their safe spaces where they can go and, and you know, and, 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 and not be confronted with something they don't believe or don't want to hear. Um... You know, be threatened with the truth. You know, and if they are threatened with the truth, become offensive and even even violent, which is justified by uh, by the by the attitude. Well, how else can they demonstrate them being being defended? So they get violent, and it's justified in our world today. You know, the Pharisees, when they could not refute the truth of Christ, they spoke against him. They attacked him, his person, and then they became what violent. 
just like the woke mob in our world. They can't speak or defeat the truth, they become violent. They attack your person. You know, the way God expects us to respond to the offense of truth is by repentance. By repentance. Yeah, and we're not to go out there and purposely try to offend people, but if we are going to give them the truth, there's going to be an offense. They have to be willing to accept the truth. So, so this is this, you know, this is this was Enoch. I mean, he preached the judgment of God. If you don't repent, judgment is going to be yours. Unless you repent. Of your un- and he called him ungodly. How many? I think the word ungodly is used four times in, that, in, that, in those two verses. Four times. He called him ungodly sinners. That you've spoken against him. And then notice, fourthly, go back to Genesis chapter 5 once again, and verse 24. And we see that the fruit, we see the fruit then of his walking or pleasing God. Verse 24, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This is a picture of the rapture of the saints. Spoken of, of course, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 13 and 4 through 18. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 tells us, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Enoch, here's a picture. He was taken out before judgment of God fell on, uh, on the world in that time through the, the worldwide flood. Now Noah, who was left behind, is a type or picture of Israel that will go through the time of God's wrath, the tribulation period. It would be a time of purging for Israel and bringing an end to their unbelief and rejection of Christ. The majority of them will die uh, in the process because of their refusal to receive him. But Enoch, but what we see here is Enoch was rewarded an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Verses 5 and 6 says, By faith, Hebrews 11, 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder, a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So he believed that God was the one who would reward man, not man. The ultimate rewarder would be God. The person we're going to have to give account to is God. When it's all said and done, it's going to be us and God. Whether it's good or whether it's evil. He understood that. And therefore, he diligently sought him. That's how it defines it there. The word diligence means to seek out, to investigate, to scrutinize. It goes back to knowing, growing, learning. That's what he did. You know, this is, you know, Peter speaks of this in also we looked at 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 and Peter goes on, uh, goes, uh, says, says there in verses 10 and 11 of that, that, 
that passage, he said, Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence. Again, again, uh, you know, seek out, investigate, learn, scrutinize. Give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, if we are found when the Lord comes, diligently seeking to please Him, examining our lives, and adjusting, changing our lives to conform to the image of His Son, when He comes, diligently seeking Him, there is an abundant entrance waiting us. It, it speaks of a faithful and wise steward who, when his Lord comes, is going to reward him for a job well done, kind of thing. You know, you remember the, uh, the, steward, the parable of the stewards? You know, he gave one steward ten, and he gave one five, and he gave one one, and, and the, the one that gained ten gained ten more. The one that gained five, or had five, or was given five, gained five more. The one who was given one went and buried it in the earth. He didn't do anything with it. And when he came back and, 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 and looked for a return for his investment, the one that had gained 10, he came, you know, he, I, I can just see him. He comes forward without fear because he knows. He has confidence that he's been faithful with what the Lord gave him. And he says, here, here this, is, this is what I gained. And the Lord commends him for it and says, you've been faithful. A few things, I will make you, uh, uh, um, how does it say, um, Ruler over much. And then one that gained five. He, he, gained, he just gained five, but again, he doubled what he had. He used what the Lord gave him for the, for the, the furtherance of his master's kingdom. And therefore, he was rewarded. But the one that went and buried in the earth, oh, he brought it back. What did the Lord call him? A wicked and slothful servant. See, the faithful... The one that's like Enoch were the ones that gained, had ten, gained ten. The one that had five, gained five. But see, it required, on their part, diligence. We have to be diligent. We have to be willing to, to seek him, to seek out, to investigate, to scrutinize, you know, to learn more about the Lord. And as we learn more about the Lord, it's going to reveal what we are. It's going to reveal the, the blemishes and the sins that are in our lives. As we learn about the Lord, it's going to reveal who we really are and what, how we need to change our lives. And this is what Enoch did. He also, by doing that, learned what was, you know, how to, how to, uh, warn others that, that they're going to meet God and they change their lives. So the question is, will you be one like Enoch? Will you put forth effort, search your own heart by study, to show yourself approved unto God, or pleasing to God, to walk in fellowship with Him, and be rewarded with an abundant entrance? You know, Paul spoke of this in 2 Timothy 4 8. You know, when Peter wrote 2 Peter, he's facing martyrdom. He knows his time is short. Paul writes 2 Timothy, and he knows he, he's, he's ready. He, he said, he said my, I'm ready to be offered. 
time of my departure is at hand. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have finished. Uh, I have kept the faith. I've, and, and so he said, there's a, there's a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do you think the guy that was given one talent and buried it in the earth and brought it back, do you think he was looking forward to his Lord's return? I don't think so. But the other two were. Because they knew. They knew in their hearts. They had been diligent. They had put forth effort. They had been faithful. To serve their Lord and their master. This was the life of Enoch. This was how he walked with God and pleased him. You know, this is how you and I can walk with God and please him. Will you be like Enoch? Let's pray.